I'm Kevin Davis, and this is the Catholic Family Podcast. And well, Father Stephen McKenna and Mr. Louis Brecchio, we're all kind of hoping that the this all ends up looking okay because this is one of those days where the um, the tech has been has been a bit of a mess. So um, we, I really appreciate both of them being patient, you know, trying to set this up. It really is one of those things that anyone who watches the show knows that that is our biggest challenge is um, getting things to work out. But I really, really greatly appreciate the two coming on, and we're going to talk about a topic that is really, really touchy and really important right now. This is going to be a topic that pretty much anyone in the U.S. is going to be talking about over the next, what, nine months now, um, and that is voting. Now, we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of follow one of um, Louis's articles on akacatholic.com, where he kind of talks about some of what the church has said on the matter, especially specific occasions of voting. And in the end, Father, of course, is going to help us you know, kind of go through and talk about the, the, the morality of it. Is it an obligation to vote? Is it an obligation not to vote? Or is it somewhere in between? So that's kind of what we want to cover. And we'll have, I'm sure, some comments about Donald Trump himself, maybe Joe Biden, whatever else is going to go on. We're going to talk about politics a little bit. So let's hope that YouTube lets us publish this and everyone sticks with us until the very end. Again, Father, thank you for being here. Louis as well. Louis, I'm going to hand it off to you to start. And um. It was a really interesting article, and I, I really appreciate it because I think it is, it's nuanced, and I think that that's really some of what we need more of. It's, it's well-researched and it's nuanced. So where, where do you think we should start with this conversation? Well, anybody that spends any time on Catholic social media knows that there's a couple of extreme opinions out there when it comes to Catholic voting obligations. One is, there is no way that any one of us can justify casting a vote for a guy like Donald Trump. And here's a list of reasons why. And there's another camp, surprisingly comprised of any number of what I might call mainstream traditionalist voices, people that we've all heard of and we've seen their presentations, who act as though Donald Trump is a gift from God and you have to vote for him. You're strictly obligated. Well, what's missing in that conversation is humility. And the humility to take any questions that we have of a moral nature to the church to see what kind of wisdom Holy Mother Church has provided to us to help guide us in making these decisions, to get our hands around what our obligations are, what our duties are, what we can do, what we cannot do. And so that was the, the thrust of this article was to kind of set aside all these crazy opinions. I have my own too, <laughs> but I'm not always good at it. But when you're faced with a moral dilemma, that's the answer. Let's find out what the church has taught through her approved theologians, through the Holy Father, and, and so forth. And so that's what this article is all about. And uh, to jump into it, there were four sources, or three in particular, that I cited along the way. Um, the first was a couple of uh, Dominican theologians, Father John McHugh and Father Charles Callan, who wrote uh, a much larger work that just touches on uh, this issue of voting called Moral Theology, a complete course based on St. Thomas Aquinas and the best modern authorities. Now, this particular work, because these gentlemen are Dominican theologians, it has uh, both an imprimi potest from their superior and an imprimatur from the local archbishop. So, and this is written in 1958 at a time when an imprimatur and an imprimi potest meant something. It's not like the conciliar version of an imprimatur where, you know, what assurance do you actually have is very little. And so let's start with that. So let's address this idea of no one can vote for a guy like Donald Trump, or you could plug in any other candidate 
And these are the reasons why. These Jesuit, I, I beg your pardon, <laughs> these Dominican theologians say directly, and they're Americans, by the way, so they have a sense for how voting works in the United, in the United States. It is lawful to vote for an unworthy candidate when this is necessary to prevent a greater evil as when the opposing candidate is much worse. And I would just make a commentary here. U.S. elections have always been, and I made this the title <coughs> that you referenced, it's been a battle of the unworthies. In our lifetime, or in the history of this nation, we've never had what I would call, or what I think the church would call, a worthy candidate. So maybe we should start there. What is a worthy candidate from a Catholic perspective? In my view, it's a candidate who recognizes his duties as a leader of state toward Christ the King, to recognize the sovereign rights of Christ the King, and his duty as a leader of this state to publicly worship and honor Christ the King, and to govern in such ways to do, do so in keeping with the divine law and the natural law, and to afford the rights that belong to the Holy Roman Catholic Church alone in the way that he governs. We've never had that. So every election that we've had, and this probably goes all the way down to the smallest local elections, it comes down to a battle of unworthy candidates. And now our job, at least according to these two Dominican theologians, is to determine who is the least unworthy and who a, a vote <clears throat> for the least unworthy candidate I mean, yet for the guy that's not as unworthy as his opponent is really a vote, not so much absolutely for the unworthy man as it is uh, to prevent the greater evil from ascending to power. So I think that's a good place to start the conversation and I've talked enough, so I'll back up and let Father chime in. So, yeah, I, um, I certainly agree with you, Louis, that that to look at American politics, we we unlike a lot of the European states, we've never been a Catholic country. And so it's true that, you know, if if we was only taken from an absolute position, who is going to be, um, we're casting a vote for a leader who is going to uphold uh, the the United States as, a, as looking to the rights of the church in relation uh, to the state, First and foremost, and, and and our Lord, we've never had that, and and I agree with you. And you know, McHugh and Callan are, are a great source to pull from, and that's so. Uh, and that I I, I agree that you, to the the to make the argument that that we as Catholics, because we don't have that 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 true pure candidate, that that true good that's going to to come. You know, the the alternative to that argument is that we could have no nothing to do with any. We have no say whatsoever in the well-being of our country, or in the well-being of our of our existence in our in our in our lives, and and that's and that's something that's flat, flatly you know incorrect. And and um, and that and and you're right. There are people, and I've run into too many of them that think, oh, well, we're, you know, a Freemasonic society or a, you know, secular society, and these things are against the church. The church has condemned Americanism and, and things like that. And so therefore we can't participate in it at all. And it's, that's a, that's a misunderstanding, a clear misunderstanding of, of, um, of what our abilities as, as Catholics in, in our society are, that, that we do have a right to still participate, to look and, and, a, and a duty under the fourth commandment 
to have true patriotism, to want the ultimate good, to want the best for our land. Uh, true patriotism is the, the love of our homeland and to want what is good uh, for her and for her citizens. And, and, um, and so just because we have been born into this society where that, you know, there's no true Christian society here, doesn't mean there, we, that there isn't good to be gained or to be, um, or to that we can have a say in, um, in our, in our format of, of government, that we can't have a say in our influence in, in moving our society towards, towards the good, or at least away from the greater, greater evil. I, I agree with that well, 100%. Sorry, Father. If you don't mind if I comment real quick, I think it's it's that's kind of what gets me. That's my first bugaboo. This whole topic is the the quote unquote black pilled. You know, the our country is terrible. It's awful. It's Masonic. I hate it. And people really hate America. I mean, really, and I'm sure you've seen it online. There's these trads. There's a there's a group of them that they really hate America. I mean, really, I, I sincerely, I don't think they want the best for it. That maybe they want to be gone. I don't know. But that's to me is is really my biggest issue with this whole thing. It's like, why, why do we even care? Why even vote? I mean, what's, what's the point? But before I get, we go back to Louis, Father, Father, I have one more question. Because I think this is important. If we're listening to moral theologians on this topic, what gravity does that have for us? You know, I mean, if they say it's allowed, does that mean, boom, church says it's allowed, end of story, be quiet? Or is it more like a, hey, here, here are some experts on the faith and morality, and you definitely should listen to them that's that's a great question when it comes to those who are um recognized sources of moral theology or any theology you know the true theologians of the church and and these things um these people are wrote in a time when they had uh, approval to speak in an authoritative manner in this regard now what you will find is that you will find on certain topics that um that that there are disagreements on certain aspects of, of moral theology. So it's not to say that they're infallible in and of themselves, but it is to say that they are a legitimate authority and that in following after them, that you uh, are, you can't, you're not going to do harm to your soul, especially in this, this is morals. So we're talking, we're literally talking about what is right and what is wrong. And so when you have an authoritative source on moral theology, like McHugh and Callan were recognized as, then one can follow their mode of rationale and their, and their conclusions that they draw from that without any worry of incurring any kind of guilt to, to your own soul. Um, it's why it is a principle of moral theology that if you have two, um, if you have two moral theologians who who disagree, you are you are permitted to to choose the the way of liberty. You know the the looser interpretation of that, um, because um, because if if somebody is a, a that type of authority speaker, just because it may seem looser than uh, than another um, theologian's conclusion doesn't mean that um, that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that the all the, the more strict or the more scrupulous you know uh, way is always the right way. Um, and so so you are permitted 
no matter what you don't you're not you're not forced to but you are permitted in even in the case of of disagreement to choose the 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 easier the looser way if it comes from one of these types of approved sources uh moreover with that if you look at the the, the works of the theologians as a whole when you uh, when you start looking and you see regularity, a consensus amongst the, a majority or, or all of them, then you start to actually wander into something where you're not allowed to choose uh, out of because now you're, you're, they, that is part of what makes up the ordinary magisterium of the church. And, and, and that is infallible. So where you see disagreement, you're allowed to choose the looser because it is still an approved authoritative uh, source but when you see consensus and i think he, louis starts to get into that in his article a little bit by pulling from multiple sources that we can start to see that this allowance in the participation in our own uh, elections even if it not be that perfect candidate even if it be a candidate with with many flaws or or might be in their own right not necessarily what we consider the good candidate but is a clear lesser evil that you would be permitted to to exercise your 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 privilege of of voting uh, in those situations because you do see this consensus amongst many of the writers in that 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 this is allowed and it moves more away from um, from uh, you know approved opinion or approved um, uh, ideas to. Uh, being closer to that uh, that idea of the ordinary magisterial teaching. Perfect. Thank you, Father. So, so Lee, I guess I'll, I'll let you either, I mean, if you want to comment on that, go ahead. If not, I'd say it's good to even keep moving forward. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Father, about the consensus and, and uh, looking back at multiple sources, because that's exactly what the next source that I'd like to mention just to, to put another hat in the ring to make this case of voting for the least unworthy candidate to prevent the ascension to power of the more evil candidate. Uh, there was a Father Titus Cranny who wrote uh, Catholic Principles on Voting as part of his doctoral dissertation at Catholic University in 1952. That work received an imprimatur. And in it, he makes a similar case to the Dominican theologians that we mentioned earlier, saying that it might be necessary to vote for an unworthy candidate. And he says something very interesting. He's saying um, it might be necessary to vote even for a candidate who would render harm to the church, who would render harm to the church. And I think this is especially noteworthy in our day when uh, people have to tend to, and not for no reason, but tend to have a hyper-focus on the pro-life issue and abortion in particular. And it seems to me that the whole the pro-life movements become something of a religion unto its own. Some of its proponents, Catholic ones, you know, they, when you get right down to it, the object of their worship is the human embryo. They place it before our Lord and before his holy Catholic church, and it becomes kind of the, an idolatry of sorts. So what Father Cranny is saying here, that it might even be necessary in a given election, you have two unworthy candidates, to vote for the one who might even do harm to the church. And I would submit that in writing this, this is at a time when the abortion movement was taking off. So it's not as if Father Cranny was ignorant to the kinds of issues that we're facing today. He was well aware of them. 
I would say that the candidate who's willing to do harm to the Catholic Church is perhaps more evil than the one that's loose on abortion. I mean, without the church, we have no means of salvation. You know, so if, if our priorities are ordered correctly, we would see harm to the church is pretty much being top of the list of the harm that a man could do to society as a whole. And he's saying it might even be necessary to vote for that guy if his opponent is even more unworthy and represents a greater evil. And then he went on on this note of consensus, Father, that you mentioned to mention kind of a who's who of Catholic moralists who had written on this topic in the past, he mentions, um, and I think his first name was Augustine Limecule, who says it's never allowed to vote absolutely for a man of evil principles, but it may be allowed if the election is between two men of evil principles. In that case, we should vote for the lesser evil. And then he puts a couple of conditions in place that are extremely interesting. Number one, if, if he, the voter, makes known the reason for his choice, and secondly, the election is necessary to exclude the worst candidate. And on this first note, you know, we, we don't have to disclose who we vote for in the United States. But thanks to social media, <laughs> darn near everybody does. So when you have Catholic voices out there, and you know, just to name a few, Taylor Marshall, a guy like Michael Matt, they're out there very public beating the drum for a Donald Trump, praising the man, um, even acting as if he's an instrument of divine intervention. So if you to make your reason known for the, the choice that you made to support this man, we have an obligation to be clear that we're not voting for him absolutely because he is God's choice or because he brings so much virtue to the table, but rather because we've determined that he is the lesser of the two evils. And that this is the principle that many of the Catholic commentators today absolutely fail on that. So you mean, you, mean, you mean Taylor Marshall dropped out of the race? He did. <laughs> <Yeah>. Shocking. <laughs> but but he, I understand he swiftly returned every donation that he got to help fuel his kid. Well, maybe he didn't. I don't know. That's an open question. <laughs> right. Someone so should look like, into that, Louis. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. You got to give the guy credit for it. He's a brilliant marketer. Yes. of Taylor Marshall Incorporated. He does that very well. So uh, it, Father Cranny went on to cite Tanqueray, who um, was a theology professor that actually taught here at the um, St. Mary Seminary in Baltimore in the <laughs> early part of the 20th century. He said, um, he reiterates what was said previously, that the voter who votes for the least unworthy candidate should publicly declare why he is voting that way. So if you're going to disclose who you're supporting, you need to be clear. This is the lesser of two evils. It's still evil, but it's the lesser of the two. Prummer says the same thing. And um, the only other thing I would add that we haven't touched on yet, because I just want to make sure that it comes up. This is um, McHugh and Callan writing. Citizens do not make themselves responsible for all the acts of their representatives. So you know, when you, you talk about that one kind of argument, you can never vote for Donald Trump because he supports the gay agenda. Well, I would never vote for the gay agenda, but a voter could vote for him, not absolutely. And after doing so, they're not responsible for him uh, adopting gay marriage if he was to do that, what, what have you. So I think, you know, these are some more important points to bring up. I'm gonna yield to father now because I've spoken too much. It's not good.
No, I think that's that's very laid out well, and um, you know, I just wanted to 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 bring up though, you know, with that, um, the one part that bears mentioning because I think it's it's you know like a source used in vain if you could um uh is the the you bring it up in your article and, and i think you do good to you do very well to, to point out the, the fallacy of, of using it as a as pointing to um the strict obligation towards towards casting a vote uh the you know like a necessity to vote is that sometimes you see the uh the quote used in vain from from Pius XII where he does put an obligation on uh on uh, people to to cast a vote but you point out very uh very adroitly that he's not speaking about all elections for all time in all scenarios in all places He's speaking about a, a very specific election that was taking place in Italy at the time, um, where it, um, and I forget exactly what year is in the 40s, right? It was 48. 19, yeah, 1948. And where you had like a, a Christian Democratic candidate who was not, uh, you know, one who was truly Christian in the true sense of, of the word but had enough concessions and rights given to the church that made him a clear choice over the alternative canon, which, which I believe was a socialist uh, and um, who wanted to truly strip the church of her rights and, and, and do that uh, harm of secularization of, of, of Italy. And in that scenario is what, is what Pius XII is talking about. And it's always important to understand these things because in, when it comes to strict obligations, the church is actually very specific about what it, it condemns and uh, and or or makes obligatory and things like that. And so, in this, when he is speaking about that particular election, it is wrong to extend that out as a general um, command to to all elections we we don't have the ability to do that if he if he wanted to speak towards all elections he would have spoken towards all elections he he is only speaking about a moral obligation in that one particular thing and what you have to move on from it is exactly what louis did you move on from that and to see okay he's not there is not a command to strictly oblige us to vote but then the next question is, are, am I permitted to vote? And then that's where you see the theologians come in. And then you see that consensus that allows us, and Pius XII himself too, where you have that general consensus of, yes, you if you see somebody who is a lesser evil, then, then, then just because that they are not in themselves perfect or good um, doesn't pre prevent a person from from voting for that, so I just wanted to to, to rebring that up because I think I, I've seen too many times where that's like I said it's sort of quoted in vain, and to try to make a, this the sort of a moral obligation upon upon man in in all elections, saying well Pius XII said this, well, yeah, but what is the context that it comes from? The context is very very sp specific. Well, that, I, I got to shout out Father um, Gabriel. Uh, he, he mentioned this on Twitter. He calls that a copy-paste theology. I've also seen <laughs> someone call it meme meme theology, where, yeah, you, you literally see something online, and it says, quote, unquote, 
the Pope, a Pope said this, and it's like, oh, well, there, boom, you know, I got my answer, you know, here it is. And obviously, oh, we lost Father, I think Father will be right back. But it's, I, I think that's obviously very, very wrong. And I think that's, again, why I appreciate, Louis, you know, your, your article, and I appreciate this discussion, because it's just diving deeper, exactly as you said, Father. It's not just like, hey, here's one thing the Pope said, so, you know, you're obliged. Say, okay, guys, this, the faith is typically not, for something this complicated is not, typically simple enough just to read one quote from Pius XII. So, so Louis, right. Louis, I'll send it back to you. So the other error that people spin off of Pius XII's words in 1948, speaking of that very specific election, I mean, he's saying that there's this um, strict obligation to vote for this candidate. He doesn't name him. De Gaspari was the man's name, but it's clear that's who he's promoting here. And the reason he gives for enjoining this strict obligation on Catholic voters is because that candidate, in the words that he used, offers truly significant guarantees for the protection of the rights of God and of souls. So people have taken the liberty of extrapolating from that to say that's the only time that a Catholic might be strictly obligated to vote is if there is a candidate who offers those sufficient guarantees. But the Holy Father didn't say that. He didn't imply that this is the only time any voter anywhere is ever going to be strictly obligated to vote. And so that makes for a good segue for us to move from, you know, we've kind of covered the ground on what we can do as voters and what we should do. And that is, look, we always have two evils running against each other. Voting for the lesser of the two is perfectly valid. So we've covered what we can do. Now I think we should move into the obligation part of the conversation which is a little bit more complicated because there's some room in there. There's some gray area. There's room for uh, sincere individuals who are truly Catholic and, and striving to live a truly Catholic life to disagree and debate on some of the obligation questions and how we view a particular election and what's at stake and whether our vote even matters for that matter. So I'm going back now to um, McHugh and Callan, our Dominican theologians. And they say the obligation to vote is one of legal justice arising from the fact of the common wheel is everybody's business and responsibility, especially in a republic. And then they go on to say a citizen who stays away from the polls sins and perhaps gravely against legal justice. And by way of definition, legal justice is that which is owed to the community in which one is a part as opposed to particular justice to an individual. It's what we owe to society as a whole. But there are a couple of disclaimers as well. Uh, the fathers write that um, there are occasions when one can reasonably refrain from voting. Some of them are very common sense ones. For example, grave inconvenience, sickness, um, ostracism, exile, persecution. Okay, so you're not obligated to you know, make your way past the firing squad to get to the polling place. You don't have to do that. Neither is there an obligation to vote, they write, when an election is a mere formality as when there is but one candidate party. And when I read that, I thought about the last election here in the United States, the presidential election. It was so riddled with anomalies and what looked to be outright just scandalous cheating and lying. And so a number of people that I know are like, I'm not wasting my time. And I've been, I've said it a number of times in the past year, I can tell you with certainty who's going to win the next presidential election. It's whoever the heck they install, because that's how this thing seems to be working. So you can't really blame people who have that extremely cynical position. It's well within their 
rights as a Catholic who has to navigate their way through this process to look at it and say, my vote really is going to matter. Now, personally, I'm not quite there yet. I mean, intellectually, I feel like they're going to steal the thing no matter what, if that's necessary. On the other hand, you know, when it gets right down to it, I'll, I'll probably weigh the two candidates and choose the lesser of the two evils to prevent the next guy from stepping up. But um, these are some of the things that Callan and McHugh wrote with regard to the obligation part, Wh whether it's really there or not. In a, in a specific circumstance, it's, it's a matter of debate and discussion. But at the same time, what I think seems pretty clear to me, we always have an obligation to do what we can according to our station in life and our abilities to do what we can to protect the common good. Yeah. Okay, and I so- agree. I agree yeah, with you there. That voting, yeah, so what, what do you think, Father? No, I agree with you there. You know, I think, I think, um, regardless of whether a person decides that they're that they should cast a vote or they shouldn't cast a vote, um, falls into a bigger question mark, which is something that is also truly lacking. I think in a lot of people today is how informed are you? Because if you're not, if you're, if you're again, if you're just using you know, sort of like meme, meme uh, research as to understanding the current situation in in the country and who's running for for president. Then, um, then I think that's where a lot of more of the moral obligation comes in. You, a person needs to understand what's actually transpiring in an election and understand who they are. Now, if you, like like Louis said, if, you, if a person makes a conscious decision to cast a vote for a person thinking that's the lesser of the evils, then they've made an informed judgment, a judgment based on their own research and their own basis of information. And I think the same would go for somebody who chooses not to cast a vote, that in that regard, if they've if they've looked at it and decided, you know what, it, as Louis said, it really is a, a mere formality. Then, uh, and I don't see any rational reason to 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 going out and and spending my time of a day to do this. Then, um, then I don't. Then at least it's an it's it's an informed decision that is made. But for the person who just says, eh, I just can't be bothered by it, or just, or is just lazy about it. That's where I think there's a, a moral failure in regards to to that that fourth uh, commandment obligation, where it comes in of that of patriotism, where that true patriotism, that it is if you really want what is the best for your country, whether that is obtained by voting or not voting or through other means or whatever it may be, it requires you to at least take the time to understand. What is being what is being put up there, and now it leaves that room open for for interpretation and judgment, and and you know that's you know I you know I think there really can be strong arguments made towards the fact that we've come to at least on a national le level to exist in a in a uni uniparty system. That you look at somebody like a Trump and you say he's part of the globalist agenda. And you know he has ties to the WEF. He's very pro-Israel. He's LB, LGBTQT, etc. You know uh, he's 
he promoted and r- brought out the vaccination and ran as even just as of recently until he got booed enough times on it as the father of the vaccine, you know, promoting himself as the father of the vaccine for, for COVID. He, he gave us Fauci in the limelight to follow and, um, and, and so much more if you, if you re- research into it that you could make the argument. And I think they're very good argument that he is part of this problem. And so I don't think there's it's wrong if somebody concludes that. I can also understand too, if somebody says, well, hey, listen, we were stronger economically, we had a better border and we had more jobs opportunities at home, at least prior to 2020. And he's making these promises. And, you know, I'd rather give a guy a chance to to, to live up to what he's at least saying, even if it seems he's he's tainted or he's dirty. You know, I, I think that a person certainly can make that same, same judgment in it, but it's going to come down to actually a person looking into it themselves and making that determination for them, themselves in that regard. And that's where, um, like I said, the, that being informed should be part of everybody's judgment to extend off of that i think we also need to understand too all the focus ends up in the national election for president as if it's like the easy button for fixing the woes of society and and that's far from 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 true as 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 well uh, number one sometimes even if you say um, even if a person were to say to come to conclusion, you know, I think Donald Trump is the lesser of two evils, so I'm going to vote for him. Even if they were to say that, well, if you live in California, does your vote matter? Even if the even if they actually counted them and as as paper votes and like it was one vote, one person proven identity, no, it doesn't matter if you live in California because you're going to lose by 80 million votes in the, in that state. You know, it doesn't matter if you live in Massachusetts or New York, really, because the chances of, of, of success come from one of those states. And now if you're paying attention and all of a sudden it seems, well, this is a lot closer than it usually would be, then I think it may adjust the scales a little bit, or it might change things if you're in a swing state a little bit more. But generally speaking, me as an individual is is very small potatoes in a, in a national election as to what kind of good I could do, even if it is a clear choice. So um, I think to put a, a, like a grave obligation in that is, is a little bit more nuanced than just simply based on the situation, uh, the candidate. But more importantly, I think also it extends out to the other things. Do you know what's going on in your society as a whole? Like I'll pose this question a lot of times. How many of our listeners that are listening right now, how many of you can name without looking up the name of your sheriff? How many people can name their their representative? How many and not people... just because you got thrown in prison, guys. Let's let's uh you know. <laughs> so, and but I mean like how many people can can name their, their state politicians or their local town politicians or anything about them? But these this you, if I'm one of, say, you know, 15 million people in Ohio voting for president, well, that's a drop in the bucket. 
but if I'm voting, if I'm paying attention to what's going on in Ohio, or I'm paying attention to what's going on in Westchester or, or, or Butler County, my, I take up a lot more percentage of what, of say, what happens there. And a lot of stuff in the United States gets done at that local level. I will say this, our sheriff, I do know our sheriff, our sheriff is, is uh, Sheriff uh, Jones. And he was a major contributing factor to allowing great liberty here in Butler County during all the COVID stuff. Because people chose to pick a guy who had real principles as a sheriff. So for instance, when our governor, who's a weasel, came out and said, well, you know, we're gonna, we're implementing mask mandate. 20 minutes after that mask mandate was put in, our sheriff is standing behind the pulpit and he says, if somebody comes into your store not wearing a mask, don't call me or any of my officers because we're not coming. We're not the mass police. People should be able to choose what they do. People are tired of this stuff. Let people choose. And then when certain businesses started making vaccine mandates, he stood behind the pulpit and said that they should be ashamed of themselves and they're part of the problem for mandating and that that they that you know that they're their own cause if their business fails because they lost employees who made a conscious decision not to get a medical procedure that was their own choice to to make and you know or he called out the governor for lying when he tried to implement stricter regulations due to high covid cases and he came out and right away and said he didn't call me he and i don't know what he's talking about our hospitals have plenty of room and you know like that's a man who might not be perfect but at least has moral integrity to stand up for right and wrong and somebody who had direct influence to make sure that the people who lived in our county had the liberty to do to make their own decisions and live a much freer life than most of the country was able to it's why we never had to implement any restrictions or regulations or change times or do anything sneaky here at St. Gertrude's at all ever during the, the, the COVID scare because we weren't going to anyways, but regardless, we didn't even have to go behind somebody's back to pretend that we were doing, you know, following the rules or whatever it was because we knew our, our local politicians weren't going to implement any kind of, of case against it. Um, you know, and so that's just one example you want to, or, you know, people think to themselves, well, I homeschool my kids. So why do I have to pay attention to who runs for, for a school board? Well, you know, all, when you look at society as a whole, nine out of 10 kids are going to the public schools. And if they're being indoctrinated with all of the, the woke agenda and LGBT garbage and all of this type of stuff, that's going to be your general populace in the next generation. So while you might not worry about your kids having to read it because you homeschool them or you send them to a Catholic school or whatever it is, you should care about where you live enough to say, oh, I want to put a, a school board member, people in there for the school board who aren't pu pushing agenda garbage in there. I should pay attention to that. When the um, when Roe v. Wade got overturned and kicked back to the states, the bill came through the through the state of Ohio. Should they ban abortion or should they not? And I remember watching an advertisement, and it was a woman who had been a, one of the directors for PR for Planned Parenthood, who um, who had later converted and was was pro life after the fact. And she was on this ad saying, 
that it, the language of the of the bill is exactly what Planned Parenthood itself would have used to write it if they were to write a bill that by themselves, because it was so confusing. And you know, and it was so hard to keep track of. Should I vote yes or should I vote no? Or should, when is the election even for? When is the vote for that or anything like that? It failed in Ohio, and I have to think that because most people probably didn't even vote for it, and if they did, they might have. There's a good chance they might have voted the wrong way unknowingly on something like that. So I think paying attention to your your what is going on in society. Mm. We can't just pay attention every four years to the guy who's running for the highest office in the land, thinking that he's like the king that can change everything. He, he can't. But we should pay attention to our society as a whole and make our decisions based on what is good for our society and what is good for our community and where we can have, where our influence can be can be made. And I think that's sorely lacking. And I think we do put an overemphasis on on the presidency and a lack of emphasis on all the, the, the smaller things. We kind of just go and you, and I think a lot of, you know, I'm sorry to say it just this way, but I think a lot of trads go and click on R for all of the people without having any idea what that person thinks or stands for. And if we just, if we identify as just Republican, well, we're part of the problem. You know, we we become part of that Hegelian dialect, as we like to talk about sometimes, where it's, you know, where we're not thinking anymore. We're just taking the easy button and and clicking on and thinking we did our duty because we voted. And it's like, no, that's not that's not the case at all. Um, we have to be informed people. And yeah, if and I I do believe, you know, that a real argument can be made to say, the you know, whoever's running for president you know, is sort of part of the same agenda. I'm not saying that a person has to think that way or whatever. I'm just saying that I think there's, there's a legitimate claim to that. And, um, but, you know, but it doesn't excuse somebody from being well-educated and well-informed and having a real care for their society and a real care for their, for, for what takes place in their country and trying to figure out what they can do to, to help and to actually instigate change. I mean, I saw those things with those farmers dumping manure on the steps of of parliament and things in Europe. I thought, oh, why don't we do that? <laughs> so, you know, like, where can you do some good? Think about that. Sometimes it takes being bold. Sometimes it thinks, takes thinking outside the box, but, it, but being informed and being educated on what's actually going on and not being afraid to think outside the box a little bit is part of really understanding that. Great, Louis. Comment? Yeah, great points, Father. Uh, I, I think you could an argument could be made, you know, to the extent voters have this obligation to do what they can uh, to protect the common good. That that obligation seems to uh, rise when you're starting to talk about the local, because, like you said, we can make a difference locally. Whereas, I'm in Maryland, you know, similar situation to California. This state's going to go blue. It always does, regardless mm -hmm. of what. But the point that you made about being informed, this is one that the Holy Father Pius XII made a couple of years before the discourse that we were talking about. Um, it was in 1946. He was speaking to the priest of Rome, and he's and this, even though he's speaking to the priest of Rome about the Roman situation, 
this absolutely applies to all of us. He says the faithful, it's necessary for us to have, quote, clear, solid, precise knowledge of our duties in the moral and religious domain, in particular with respect to the right to vote. And it's pretty much exactly what you said, Father. If you know, if you're ill-informed and you don't have the knowledge, you're really uh, you're shirking your duty to be well-informed and, and to yeah. know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, so moving on from there, even though you know, truly we should have a lot of focus on the local because that's where we can make a difference. Um, Fathers McHugh and Callan said some really interesting things about major office. I'm going to read the quote to you. In major offices such as president, governor, congressman, legislator, or judge, the party principles for which he stands have to be considered chiefly. I think that's saying quite a lot, right? Why, why would it be that a voter in a presidential election should chiefly consider the party platform for the guy that's running? And so this is just my take on it. I'd be interested in yours as well, Father and Kevin. Um, I think one of the things that's coming across here is we're not being called to prognosticate too much here. We don't have a crystal ball. So we're not called to say, just as an example, you have a candidate that stands for, and the party platform stands for abortion on demand with no restrictions at all. On the other hand, you have a candidate who has a Catholic view. Uh, abortion is never uh, allowable. It's an offense against God. We can never allow it rape, incest, you name it, it's never something that we can do. That candidate that holds the, the more Catholic view, he has no chance in reality of getting that principle that he stands for, his party platform, through the legislative process and turning it into the law of the land. We're not called to try to determine how the future is going to unfold. We're called to vote on what we know objectively known is the party platform of the candidates who are in play. And I would submit that the party platform and what the candidate stands for, the principles that he brings to the table matter, even if those principles can't be turned into law on a practical note. And why? I think the reason is because even if the candidate himself doesn't recognize it, all authority comes from God. And those who rule over civil society, in a sense, they rule as representatives of he who really is sovereign over every nation, and that's Christ the King. Now, he might shirk his responsibility and fail in his duty to honor Christ the King and give him the public honor and worship and glory that he is due as King and sovereign. But the office itself, because all authority comes from God, has a great deal of influence over society as a whole, in particular over those who are impressionable or naive. So, for example, Bill Clinton, you know, when he talked about, well, that's not really sex, you know, it, it formed the minds of a lot of young, impressionable people because that's the power of the office. And the office is powerful because those who rule, even if they don't know it, they rule because God allows it. All authority comes from God. Not that he wills that these idiots take office, but all authority comes from God, whether they know it or not whether they acknowledge it or not. And so I think that's the reason why uh, Perlmer, I mean, McCallum and McHugh made this stress on the party principles for which the candidates stand is what we should consider chiefly. Yeah. Took me by surprise yeah. when I read it, but what, what do you guys think about that? Well, I, I think, I think you're, you're right. I mean, you know, we, you can't, 
on the one hand, you could have a candidate who goes up there and and you know says all of the right things, but I I can't necessarily judge his if he's just spouting off hot air or if he's actually sincere about implementing them. Moreover, you can't figure out, you know, okay, you know, I mean, presidents are famous for that, right? Like they all run on platforms on things that they can't actually expect to get done (laughs) because it's, you know, they make these promises that they can never fulfill because there's other elements in government at play that are necessary to, to, to have that. So, you know, abortion being a, a easy example of that, that the president could say, Oh, you know, I don't believe in abortion at all. It's never right to, to end a third party's life un, unjustly like abortion would. <clears throat> um, but it's going to require participation from, from the Supreme court. It's going to require participation from local state, authorities it's going to require you know all sorts of different trials and everything like that so the reality the re, the 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 realistic expectation of something like that even if sincerely held being passed through you and i can't say if it's going to but at least he's saying the right thing you know what i mean at least his his what the the impression that he's giving out is is an important one, which is, you know, and it's hard for me to do this, but 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 credit where credit's due, you know, I, um, you know, I always think of like the the that pro life movement thing, and it's a great point to point out is that of all of the presidents before after Roe v. Wade was passed, who claimed to be, quote unquote, pro life, so your Reagans, your Bushes you know, et cetera, that March for Life happened every year in Washington, D.C. It basically ended up on at, at their doorstep. And never once did they take a step outside to even acknowledge the crowd of a million people who were marching for the rights of the unborn. So you, you can say the right thing in that sense, but they don't do the right thing in any kind of even just even acknowledgement of it. However, you know, with Trump, kudos where kudos were due, he at least made a web appearance at that March for Life. You know, he was on the jumbotron and and greeted the crowd and applauded their efforts. And so, so you can say at least in that sense, for that one issue, that you had a man who who claimed some respect, some level of respect for the right of the unborn. And actually followed up with some level of action as well. And and also, you know, he appointed justices who, uh, you know, in the end did kick Roe v. Wade back to the state level rather than keeping it as a national uh, right. So, so to, on that one thing there, that's, you know, that is, like you said, whether he actually believes in it in his personal life or whether he could actually ever succeed in, in overturning abortion in the land. I think that's a far-fetched idea that that we could ever expect that to happen, but appearances matter. And in that instance, he said it and he followed up with at least some action that, like you said, is impressionable on other people who look to the president and say, that's a man who, you know, is the leader of, he's, he's leading us, you know, so therefore 
I look to him as 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 a, as an uh, with that level of influence um, by his words and his actions. And so I think there there is a, a an important aspect um, to be recognized in that. I also I, I, I think sorry, Father. I, I'm just going to say I think it's a, it's to me this is a perfect example of of the lesser evil with the Supreme Court justices. I think. In many ways, they've they've turned out to be pretty milk toast, to be honest. I think they've they've done a few good things and a few things that make me kind of like, what on earth? You know, this is soft. You know, but but then if you really think about it, if it had been Hillary Clinton and it had been her justices, can you even imagine? I, I mean, I, I, that's a nightmare. I and mean, truly, to me, that is horrifying—a horrifying idea that she could have appointed three judges uh, justices. And that's, I that is to me the argument for voting for the lesser evil. I, I think of anyone that I know, that's that's it. Because I don't even think justices have been that good. But if I even think that it could have been her justices, that is, oh, it's, it's really scary. Yeah. I, I think also, though, where where it comes into it is that is, is the recognition, though, too, is that, you know, to some extent as well, and I, I think this just comes again. This is not me dictating this to somebody, but this comes into the play of being being informed and making your judgment based on the information and the, and the digestion of the information that you get. You know, is do we have a true like? You know, one is really moving towards evil, and one is trying to at least retard evil or to to hold back some aspects of evil or do we have two modes of promoting the same thing and which one is more aggressive and the other is the more um bo the boiling of the frog you know where it is we, it creates a level of apathy and a complacency to accept the new normal as the normal and so it's more digestible to to the masses and i think that there's that's where I, again i you know as i kind of said at the off before we started this i think i i fall more into that gray area uh, that that exists where you, you we of 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 argument that you know i can i can definitely understand and see and and wouldn't poo poo the, that motion that hey you know what i don't i i think that the, the 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 candidate one candidate might be one that just wants to move things at a slower pace so that the same world one world agenda is promoted but it is made more delectable because it hides itself behind nuances and gives concessions on small aspects here and there so that um you know it's sort of like napoleon after the french revolution Right, so you had the French Revolution, and where they, you know, made a ten-day work week, and they chopped the heads off of priests and nuns and everything. That was the aggressive motion of it. Then you had Napoleon come in, and he um, realized in his intelligence that you can't take religion away from the French. You have to give them their 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 religion, so that you can take seize seize where you want to and you need to and so like you have that beautiful fountain of saint michael in downtown paris which was a gift from napoleon to the people of of, of paris and, and commissioned and paid for and built by him but at the same time you one can't argue that napoleon didn't continue on that secularization of france and lead it towards 
this degradation to what we see now, where it's a, an extraordinarily secular society um, and socialistic society. That was still, he was still part of that same movement. It wasn't like he returned things back to good. He made small concessions in order to promote a longer term gain, or at least the argument can be made towards that. And I think when you when you start to to look at these candidates, I think you can say the same thing about them. And that's why I say that, you know, if a person were to choose not to vote, I would not I would not say that they would, you know, if somebody came to me in confession and said, Father, I forgive me for I sinned, I didn't cast a vote in the presidential election. I would ask them for more for a done another sin in order to be able to give them absolution. You know, um, whereas if somebody came to me and said, I would do the same if somebody came to me and said, forgive me, Father, for I sinned, I casted a vote in the in the election. I, that's not sufficient enough, you know, think a person makes it on their own, makes the judgment on this on their own objective uh, re, uh, research into it and making a conscious decision themselves. But, and that's where the argument lay, make the conscious decision, but also look at it from every angle. and. And when you've digested it in that way, then you make your choice as to which one you're going to do. But, you know, it, but, you know, we, we cannot fall. The danger is, is that if we don't look at it in those nuanced ways, then we fall very easily into what the tide of the message of, of media and the tide of, of the message of the general populace as a whole is, which is one side good and one side bad. We know that that is not what we have. We can make the argument that we have one that you can make the argument one is a lesser evil, but you can't make the argument that we have a good and a bad fighting here. And and if and in in concluding that you have both sides at least at some level of evil, it, I don't think it'd be on the pale to also make the argument that you know what neither one of them is digestible either. Um, like I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that as a moral fault against somebody if it is done according along the lines of their conscience and their in their own research into it. Louis, go ahead. Yeah, good points, Father. The the good versus evil rhetoric is common amongst Catholics on social media who have postured, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump running against whoever's on the Democrat. It's obviously good versus evil. Well, no, it's mm -hmm. not. <laughs> it's no. evil versus more evil. So come on. Yes. I mean, with respect to the decision-making process that we go through to determine, yeah, look, this candidate and his opponent, they're both leading us down the path to this globalism and this one world government thing is preparing the ground for the arrival of the Antichrist. So what's it matter? Well, I think we can get a little bit too cynical in that regard. I mean, if you take that line of thinking too far, we could very well say, well, look, we're all going to die. I know I'm going to die. So I'm going to start smoking cigarettes and drinking. I mean, what's the difference? I'm going to die. The point I'm making is the journey matters and the conditions on the ground matter. So candidate A is aggressively taking us towards the one world government. Candidate B, he's on board with it too, but he's going to take it more slowly. He's going to allow more liberties. And in particular, one of the things that I like to think about is who's going to encroach more egregiously on the rights of the church? Because that's where... You know, if you're going to make it harder for individual people to work out their salvation in fear and trembling and to avail themselves of the graces that come to us only through the church, that's a problem. And even if both candidates are leading us to this terrible place, 
the guy that's going to allow the church to have the freedom to bring souls to eternal life, well, that's obviously the better choice. And it can even come down to the economic things. You know, when it comes to matters of social justice, it's true that people in, in extreme poverty whose primary worry is how they're going to feed their kids, that's a more difficult situation in which to work out your salvation. So I think those are some of the things that people might think about when they're weighing. Is there really a difference between these two guys and where they're going to take I, and I. And I and I readily agree with you. You know, I, I really do, Louis. I I I um you know I my my point on it is is that it's I think it's um you know I think it's a legitimate argument that can be made, and I think it's a legitimate aspects that need to be taken into into account. I I think when you um you know I think when even when you take Q and Callan into into account and things like that. You have uh, you have a time frame where people, um, you know, ha I think we live in a time now where we have a more information than anybody's ever been able to to gain, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and and B, we have also, uh, uh, you know, a well deserved lack of trust in people who are trying to be leaders now than you had. In the 40s and 50s, you know, and I think that um, that's where my point coming in is, is to say that is not to say that somebody shouldn't vote if that's where their conscience moves them toward, towards doing. It's just to say that that I don't think that we can also say that anybody is obliged to vote either. That you know, if they if they weigh the points and say I think it's still the same agenda, I don't think that. That that's a that's a wrong conclusion either. My only point really is is that whatever that conclusion is, it must be an informed one. It has to be one where due diligence and and gravitas is taken towards that. And you look at it and you say, you know what, I think um, I really need to do this, or I think it we really live in the mere formality type of situation, whichever that may be. <clears throat> But I at least taken that 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 I have the privilege to vote and participate in my government and to participate in trying to do good for my my home, my homeland, that I have taken that to I've taken that to heart. I've looked at it seriously and I've made my decision based on trying to do not what is based on my own preconceived feelings or my own you know influence from people around me but rather based on my observation of of the information that i've been able to glean and my trying to take that duty as a serious one in that and i appreciate from from louis again too that i think again saying that it goes back to humility right exactly that it's like okay you know my opinions my feelings my emotions you know it you know in the end what do I know? And so exactly, we need to get more informed. And, and, and again, you know, look, look at and see what the church says. And like, I guess that's what we've been talking about. There's no direct answer, I suppose, as, as Father has said, but it at least gives us, I think that perspective, exactly as Father said, again, that, that we need to care. That's the thing. I mean, we need to, 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 to actually care about it, not be blackpilled, not be in this mode of putting my head in the sand and just not caring. I think that that's, that's the big one to me. Um, I don't know, Louis, if you have comments on that. 
Uh, no, totally, totally in agreement with what Father is saying. Um, one thing I don't think I offered this quote, but it, it's it's worth reading to the viewers. And this is coming from Father Cranning. He's quoting uh, the moralist. I think again, Augustine was his first name, Lemkule, who's saying that in, when a vote is given for the least unworthy candidate to prevent the greater evil. He said, there must be no approbation of the unworthy man or of his program. And that's something that we've, you know, that's just something we've touched on, but we see a lot of that, like with the Taylor Marshalls and the Michael Matz, literally praising Donald Trump as if, you know, the man's to be lauded for his virtue. He's not. And I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not doing this to pick on Michael, but Michael Matt likes to remind people that he's the editor of the nation's oldest traditional Catholic newspaper. So he really does wield a certain amount of influence over naive people. And I think it's important to point out where he's off the farm uh, for their edification. Traditional newspaper and big quotes too, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So he participated in rallies for Donald Trump, which, I mean, I don't know how you would do that and make the case that I'm out here to stump for the least of the two evils. But and anyway, I'm going to give you a quote. This is something that he said in September of 2020, and this is after four years of essentially four years of Trump in office, every year of which Planned Parenthood received more money than it did ever before he took office, which is directly against one of his campaign promises to cut funding off from that slaughterhouse. Michael Mann said to the crowd, he sees the demons, speaking of Trump, and he's really and truly, almost despite himself, completely on our, on our side now on the life issue. Really? No, he's not on our side on the life issue. Trump has made it perfectly plain that he supports abortion in certain circumstances, in the cases of rape, incense, health of the mother. So, no, he's not completely on our side. This is exactly what the moralists are saying we cannot do. There must be no approbation of the unworthy candidate. Right. Yeah. So and, I think and, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Father. No, I was going to say that's that's a that's a great point. And and moreover, you know, it, his choice of words is kind of interesting on it too, because it's sort of like you know when people quote Paul the Sixth to say like, "Oh, the smoke of Satan has entered into the church." You know, what I mean. But if you're the one fanning the flames to to have the smoke come in, or in Donald Trump's case, if you're the one shelling out the money. To, to to fund the the meat grinder then you know like you, you don't get to say or you don't get to have spoken about you oh you see the problem yeah he might see the problem but if you're participating in the problem you can't claim amnesty from that from that, from that problem either you know that's that's a, an important aspect to 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 that you know that's um and again but you know to be fair and bringing it back to a point that you made earlier which i think was a great one is that we can't be worshipers of pro-life either. You know, like your point about saying that even if it was to the detriment of church causes, you know, that you know, a lesser evil can be chosen, that I think is a real important part. I mean, I, I obviously, a Catholic priest, I'm 100% in favor of, and I think it is a very important issue of, of abortion and things like that, but we have to we have to take a step back and realize that's not the only issue ever at play. And yeah, we rarely see it played out on a national level as to it mattering, but sometimes in local levels, especially, it could matter. You could have a candidate who, on most issues, is is a far better candidate 
or whatever office that you have, but then is lax on that one thing. Well, what are the chances they're going to have to actually overturn abortion in your town, state, or the country? Very small. But you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I think sometimes we end up in this, we go for this aspect of it's the low-hanging fruit. It's the easiest argument to understand. And so the lazy mind or the sometimes just uninformed or simple minds grasp, well, we have to vote pro-life. You know, and I, this candidate said these pro-life things. And so no matter what, that has to be the, the thing. And that's, that's, not, that's not sufficient. Like we have to think bigger than just that as, as an aspect because, you know, I mean, like, like for instance, I mean, even if Kenneth says, okay, they're against abortion, but if they're going to promote the stop to abortion by promoting contraceptive and, and abortifacients, you know, drugs and things like that, instead of promoting abstinence and um, Catholic adoption and, and whatnot, then are we really contributing to the good or are we just substituting one evil for one slightly sneakier evil of that, you know, plus again, you know, what What happens if they have a, a mountain of really good things and the prospect of any good from a pro-life stance is very small and, you know, we're we willing to forgo all the good that they might be able to do. I'm not saying that that's the case in the national election. It's, you know, obviously the, the Democratic, whatever Democratic candidate up there is going to be, you know, militantly pro-abortion. But, you know, in other aspects of society or in other elections it's not always as clear-cut as that and and it's an issue that very rarely does somebody actually have the power influence or ability to do much about to change anyways so and i would so so here's a question i have and i actually argued a bit with a guy about this a couple years ago now on the podcast and i didn't really have an answer but the question was can you Okay, so how do I phrase this? So obviously, it's good to, in some way, take part in politics. I think you know, Pius XII says that you need to, you know, be, if if we good men don't take some part in politics, if it's voting or running for for office or whatever, then it's only going to be the bad men. So I think that I think I'm fairly clear that that is, in some cases, um, at least permitted. But my question then would be, if that's the case, can you run? on the Republican ticket, which you almost have to, right? I mean, I mean, you pretty much have to run as either Republican or Democrat. No Catholic's gonna run as a Democrat. So are you actually even allowed to do that? If it is as a party, you know, the party, as we all know, is as corrupt as, as, as the Democrats. I mean, I, I guess maybe that's morally hard to judge as a general issue, but I mean, what would you say to that, Father? I would say that, you know, a person wanting to, to seek office would be, able to and on regard on either ticket i mean and i say that with this aspect that sometimes there are actual elections that take place where it's impossible to win as a republican and you have people who otherwise would be conservatives run as democrats a case in point was in milwaukee for the sheriff of milwaukee county there was a few years ago i forget the guy's name now he was a he was a black fellow um, who ended up being all over Fox News and everything like that. He was the sheriff of, of, uh, of Milwaukee County, and he was excellent. He ran every year as a Democrat because he knew if he ran as a Republican, he would automatically lose. And so he ran as a Democrat, even though all of the stances and platforms that he took were ones that you would say were typically 
Republican or conservative, whatever you want to say. So I don't think the R or the D necessarily really matters per se, other than from what Louis brought up, which is a, a, is an important aspect, the, the public, you know, view of that, you know, if somebody runs as a Democrat, you better make it clear that that your stances on these issues are are what they are, not that you're trying to just hide behind whatever's going to get you into power or something like that. But um, but it's so I think that you could run on run for office in uh, whatever party and most likely it would be as a as a Republican. I think, though, we need to understand our political system is the way it is and just recognize it for what it is, is that, you know, you might stand a chance in a local election as a just a morally good Catholic trying to do good for your society, running for, you know, head of the your town hall or something like that. And you could you could get in there. But when you get to state level and especially national level, you know, those people, you don't get anywhere until you've sold out to donors and, psychopath. and yeah, yeah and, and, and your packs and everything like that. And those people are there for a reason. And, um, and so it has to be recognized that if you try to pursue that, they're going to try to absolutely, they because, because those people oftentimes are psychopaths they will stop at nothing and truth not being is not a barrier for them to try to, to, to just destroy you as a human being and and um and you know in some ways that's you know like that's that's what would probably be the deck you know the deterrent from anybody to actually pursue something like that because you would have to compromise morally almost certainly to be able to withstand a chance and if um and that's what you can't do we can't compromise our morals to try to we can't do evil to try to to say and say all the the ends justify the means we can't do evil to 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 gain a good we have to but if there is a you know some prospect for you to be involved to to bring about some good and you and you see that there's a pathway to that then then you know by all means you know and that's where like i said the more grassroots stuff that happens i think is where where you you know, if you can gain influence over your town well maybe then you can start to have influence in your county and if you can eventually gain influence in your county then maybe you can gain influence in your state in and vice you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's well it might start off with I'm sorry about that. Yeah, my 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 brother-in-law is 30 years old, just turned 30, and he's the mayor of his uh, town. I mean, a decently sized town. I mean, I don't know. Boy, I don't know, 20,000, 10,000. I don't know, but 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 pretty neat. I mean, 30 years old, mayor of town. Yeah. I mean, so it shows you though, it's it's not impossible. And this is in pretty liberal Baden-Württemberg, Germany, and he's a conservative guy. Now, mayor is not. You don't actually run as a you know on a party, but. But still pretty neat it's pretty neat to see that that i think i think so many of us are just like well it can never even on the local level it can't ever happen so why even try it i think that's that's i think it's wrong i, I think people all over the place are looking for just solid leadership i mean someone who actually has a soul pretty much and i think that, who knows i mean i don't know if you have if you have any comments on that uh i don't have the quote in front of me it's, it's in my article i believe uh but one of the manualists talked about this, that those who actually have the ability to run for some sort of political office and have the wherewithal to make a difference, that they have a certain obligation to do that. 
So, you know, we're, we're called to participate in protecting the common good according to who we are in our station in life. And so for some people, you know, that really can make that difference and they're mulling over, do I want to make the sacrifice? Well, there's an, maybe a, a, you know, a little, uh, I don't know, and they're impelled to do that as, as kind of an obligation to this the society. Yeah. They, they, well, I, th I think I think on top of that, it's, it's you know what what it used to be isn't completely lost on every person out there, right? Like it used to be considered a public service. You were doing a service to your to your home, you know. And yeah, I mean, me, Louis, you, Kevin, we probably have very little chance of uh, of or any prospects of any kind of success, and it's not worth our efforts. But you know, you never know. Sometimes you might run into there might be a traditional Catholic out there who has, you know, say, made a real good living for himself. So he has, uh, you know, uh, enough capital to really be able to, 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 you know, involve himself to a certain degree in that, in that field without causing harm to his family and things and his obligations at home. And moreover, has, you know, shaken hands with enough people that know him as a decent person and like him to maybe have enough influence to actually garner sufficient votes for a certain office and and you know it shouldn't be discounted as impossible it just it just should be looked at as you know within a certain scope of realism too you know that it's we shouldn't be like well you know like that that idea i mean like you know like louis indicated it's you know it's mostly a marketing ploy from from taylor marshall and you know he's he's good at marketing and um and um but you know where he said he was running for president no, nobody really thought he had any chance of ever i mean that's a, that's a farce you know but the idea that taylor marshall in his own town in texas couldn't run and be part of a you know a local you know uh town hall assembly or something like that that would be a possibility you know he could he could potentially do something like that you know where and he could have a little bit of social influence there maybe i don't i don't know where exactly in texas he lives uh or what kind of you know abilities he has towards that but like that would be something where you could see somebody like him maybe getting a foothold there and then you get a few people of like mind and then you can start building upon that but it has to start somewhere you know it has to you know and it has to and, um so i think it's it's just we but we have to be realistic about it too we can't just be like well i'm just gonna run for president that's that's gonna be it you know or i'm gonna run for catholic king of the country that's just you know it's <laughs> although I, i'd probably look great in a crown that'd be that'd be interesting yeah, that's fair <laughs> I, I mean i i've thought about something like that i mean do maybe get some more subscribers to the channel i mean you know it's Worth a shot, you know. Do go go Taylor Marshall route, run for president. I being in <laughs> Germany makes it a little bit tougher, but uh, next time yeah. maybe. So, so Louis, we're at an hour eighteen now. So, so I mean, do we want to do we want to start wrapping this up, or do yeah. uh, should I play? I know you wanted to watch that that, that video, which is yeah, pretty that's okay. We don't need to. I pretty cringe, right. but um, yeah, we've covered that ground, so we're okay, I think. But I would make one last final point. Not that it's the most important by any means. However, it's one of the things that. Um, Father Cranny wrote in his dissertation. He said, indeed, it would not be permitted to vote for the unworthy candidate if there were any reasonable way of electing a worthy man, either by organizing another party, by using the write-in method, or by any other lawful means, end quote. And the thought that came to mind when I read this particular statement is that 
there's some very well-meaning Catholics out there. <laughs> you see them every election cycle who come out on social media after the election's over to announce that they wrote in Christ the King, which is, you know, lovely. And I'm sure the motives are wonderful. However, the word that they kind of gloss over here if they read this statement is a reasonable way. You know, I, I think you might feel good going to the polls and writing in Christ the King. And you get a couple points for that on social media and a few thumbs up. But the reality is you really haven't made much of a difference. You, you really haven't done anything to protect the common good in that regard. So <clears throat> I would maybe urge people who feel compelled to or have in the past done the right in Christ the King thing. It's, it's a beautiful thought. It's just not, it doesn't really <laughs> reflect the obligations and duties that we have as voters. I, I, I think it's, it kind of runs counter to what the moralists are saying here. So anyway, it's been a great show, guys. I really appreciate the dialogue. I think it's been interesting. Hopefully the viewers will. I, I, and hopefully the YouTube allows it. And that's that's more of my, my bigger worry. We covered some pretty touchy topics in this one. But um, as as you know, as, up to this point, we've we've lasted for two years. So um, I imagine we'll we'll make it through this one as well. And if not, we'll definitely post it to to Rumble or I actually thought maybe I'll post it to Patreon and I'll get some some more bucks flowing in here, but <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. I'm going to try YouTube and hopefully they don't kick us off. I uh, know I've greatly appreciated it, Father um, Louis. It's, it's really been interesting. And I think, again, it's so important to to discuss the nuance of these things. And I think that's that's really where it's at. And I think, Louis, exactly as you said in your article and, and on the show, that to approach it with humility and look at what the church teaches. And boy, is that the lesson for everything in our lives, right? That, that That's it. That's That's the lesson. I mean, Anything we think we know, anything that we, you know, are pondering or considering, or should I be R and R? Should I be Novus Ordo? Should I be Sede Contest? You know, what does the church say? You know, I mean, maybe not from the last sixty years because, well, that's you know, that's, that's a whole different issue. But they're not really the church. But but I mean, go back, you know, go back to what the church has said. Go back to what the popes have said. And it's it's incredible when you start reading these encyclicals and the teachings of the church. They're really clear. I mean, and that they're really you can tell that they are, they're really teaching us exactly how to live, exactly how to be moral. And it's beautiful. I think that's, that's how we find the answers in, in life, I suppose. Father, I'll leave you if you have any last comments. Um, no, other than it was, uh, you know, it's it great to be on with you. And thanks for, for having me. And um, yeah, just, you know, I think, I think people do just, be informed. Don't don't watch. Don't get your message from Fox News or CNN or whatever mainstream source. Actually, do a little legwork and and look at things and you know hear different aspects of articles. Don't dismiss uh, alternative media offhand or anything like that. Actually, you know, look into it. And with this one, you know, the particular one, it you know it seems pretty clear we're going to have, you know, with barring legal barriers that are you know on overcoming we're going to have end up probably with trump versus whatever puppet the democrats put out there and so at least if it's trump and biden you have two people that you not only have a collection of words but you also have a collection of actions and to to make judgments on and and do it do it as objectively as possible when you know either you know to, to vote or to to uh, refrain or to whatever, but but it, it make sure that it is something that you have looked into and and made a, a conscious decision about because because our you know our the our homeland is worth 
um, being invested in. And that's the important part. Perfect. Father, I think that's the perfect way to end it. Please go check out Louis's website, akacatholic.com. I will, of course, attach the, the link to his article, also a link to his YouTube channel. Um, Father, as always, it's, it's been great. I hope to have you on again soon. Hopefully, we'll continue our philosophy conversation here soon. That always helps me to make you know, wise decisions in my life. So, so that is always, always a help. To, hopefully, people will be more informed by listening to Father McKenna's philosophy talks. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, all of those things. Share with your friends. And, and please, again, if you made it through this far, then I'm sure you're not one of the people who's a hothead and just, you know, turn it off because you didn't like what you were hearing. But keep an open mind, you know, and, and, and I think don't get too emotionally involved in these things, you know, you know, push it with humility. Father, Louis, thank you very much. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you, man. Take care. Bye.